at, I got so many calls and emails on the hot topic from yesterday's Mike Smith show when we were having a, a couple of big conversations on the status of Stanley Park. Uh, I'm still uh, receiving emails and happy to continue to get those from you, uh, Jody at cknw.com. After the show yesterday, though, I received a note from Vancouver City Councilor Melissa DiGenova about what she calls sort of fun facts about what the park board cannot do with regard to Stanley Park. Uh, she says it's hiding in plain sight. So that's why Melissa DiGenova is joining us on the phone right now. Hello there. Good morning, Jody. You piqued my interest with that message yesterday when you said, you know, this is something that the media hasn't seen and hasn't really even been uh, sort of disseminated in the pub public forum in any form. Uh, what exactly do you have in your hot little hands? Well, it's, I mean, it's something that's very public and it's from the original lease agreement. I'm not sure if, you, um, if you're aware that, the, that Stanley Park is actually leased to the city of Vancouver or and or the park board and it, at the time that lease agreement was typed up on what looks like a typewriter yeah. uh, in 1908 and it's a four-page agreement it's, it's not like we'd see the hundreds of pages of lease agreements uh, today and it actually I mean it's very clear in in you know having to speak with the federal government and get their approval before doing certain things and one of those things in the lease agreement um, unless there's an amended version I haven't seen but I understand it hasn't been amended it says the use of any roads or any portions uh, thereof uh, may be discontinued with the sanction of the Minister of Militia and Defense which would mean the Minister of Defense because there is an active military base uh, that, that access road access would be gained from Stanley Park and that's the HMCS discovery Right. Indeed, it does. Uh, you sent me a screen cap of it this morning of, of these pages, and it really kind of gives you goosebumps if you're at all a historian or a history buff. This is a very cool document to look at, but what it actually has in it, where it literally says that His, his Majesty uh, King Edward, uh, acting through the Honorable Minister of Militia and Defense for the Dominion of Canada and the City of Vancouver of the second part, you know, of the first part and of the second part. There's no mention here of anything beyond that. Where, where does the uh, authority, I guess, to, to change those roadways come into play now? Or is there a way for the, the city to say, wait a minute, hold on, we, we, we can stand up against this? Well, I think the big question is to the park board, did the park board in making these decisions did they reach out to the government of Canada, to the Minister of uh, Defence, and did they receive the proper permissions to do so? Did they consider the ramifications of having an active uh, military base uh, in Stanley Park and access to and from that? And yeah. that's on top of everything else that's already been discussed, like persons with disabilities and their access, businesses in the park. I mean, even in that lease agreement, it says something about the park board can't make decisions on alcohol. They'd have to, if they, if they wanted to do so, they would have to go to the Minister of, Na of, of National Defense. So I just, I wonder if they, you know, did, did they know this existed? Have they moved forward, you know, in making these decisions without doing so? And, you know, I really appreciate the fact that there have been some checks and balances along the way. And the only reason for that is, you know, to, to 
two commissioners who've really been standing up for Stanley Park and saying, you know, just wait, let's slow down a moment. Let's do some real public consultation and let's make sure we do what, you know, we do this right. And that's Commissioner Cooper and Commissioner Barker. We do have Commissioner Barker coming on a little later on in the show. I'm getting a lot of flack on just on social media, interestingly enough, Melissa, because we open the phone lines and everybody's welcome to call. All sides are welcome to chime in. We do not screen out people who are for the closure of a lane in Stanley Park or restriction of, of the uh, park drive in, in any way. We open it all the way up. And I've been asked or challenged, I guess, on Twitter as to why I haven't had both sides represented uh, more so that Green Cope Alliance. Uh, not for lack of trying, not for lack of information. I keep getting the, we don't quite have enough data yet to come on uh, the program. So we'll come on when this temporary change to Stanley Park, when this test is over. I keep getting that as well. Are you hearing anything with regard to when uh, this test or this temporary setup, this pandemic setup in Stanley Park? And boy, did I have air quotes up around its radio? You can't see me, but I had air quotes up around all of those sort of qualifications here. Any idea when this is slated to end? Well, I, I'm not sure, and I think that this is what this this is what it's all about. Being a former park board commissioner, now a city councillor, but also I grew up around the park board, yeah. and and I'm not sure when it will end. But I know that you know after what I saw uh, in my term on park board, uh, you know there was some distrust of the public that still is being rebuilt. Like, and I really think that you look at um, you know Commissioner Cooper was on that board. And so was I. And it wasn't a board that agreed on everything. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, did the right thing. And I would hope that this board would do the right thing. Because, I, as you just said, and, you know, air quotes around it, but waiting for the data, you know, it seems that a certain park board commissioner, and I know who you're referencing, um, that, you know, has, has been invited on the show. And I've seen this on social media. You know, he's not holding off his comments on social media until he gets the data. So, you know, um, I worry that, you know, the Green Park Commissioners, the COPE, you know, Park Commissioners, they don't really understand the ramifications of their actions. And at the end of the day, Jody, my concern is, is the only thing they might be famous for is causing the end or the demise of the park board. The park board's very important. We have this debate all the time, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Why do we have a park board in the city of Vancouver? But with homelessness, with housing being an issue... It's easy for the city to say, okay, yeah, we really need to develop housing right now. But the park board serves as that trust, trust for our green space in the city. And I know that goes beyond Stanley Park, but I think that Stanley Park is such a significant example of that, uh, yeah. of the green space that we have and enjoy here in Vancouver that makes it special. And I'd hope that they would they would understand the ramifications of their actions and slow down. And, you know, I, I hope that you'll ask commissioners to look into this and, and see if indeed the Department of National Defense has been contacted to see if park board commissioners can just shut down this road. I understand they've spent some money already on all the supplies to do so. Jody Vance in for Mike Smith. Then we are continuing our discussion with Melissa DiGenova, Vancouver City Councillor and former Vancouver Park Board Chair. And prior to the break, I threw out my email address, jody at cknw.com. That's jody with a Y at cknw.com. And I'm telling you, the emails come in very quickly when we're talking about the jewel of our province, Stanley Park. Phone lines are open, 604-280-9898, star 9898 is a toll-free call on your cell. And Melissa, prior to the break, you were pointing out the lease agreement uh, from, what's the year on it? 
everyone being able to enjoy and participate. And if, if that's truly what these park commissioners who are moving for, you know, closure or to fetter access to the park um, without consulting the businesses, without consulting the Department of National Defense, yeah. without consulting, you know, the stakeholders and the people, then why? Why do we need to move so quickly on this? It, it hasn't been done since 1908. So why now? Why do they have to move so quickly? And I, I'm really concerned, as I said, that, you know, this has created a bit of a laughing stock with the park board, in my honest opinion. And, you know, I do hear the emotion. Um, I, I do hear the emotion, as you did, um, in her voice. And I, I have to say that, I mean, the, the park's very special to many people. It's very special to me. I yeah. I got married in Stanley Park. It's me a too. It's very special for me and my family. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I, you know, I chose to, to enter public life and be a park commissioner, but I grew up around the park board. My father was park board commissioner uh, since I was a kid. And really saw the importance, but I I remember the Ministry of uh, Transportation provincially. That's who it, it is responsible for the roadway through Stanley Park. So to the point that there's not access off the North Shore, and I've I've seen it myself. You can't enter through the park and drive yeah. through the park on your way through. I'm not saying that cycling shouldn't be allowed or cyclists shouldn't be able. I'm just saying why can't we have the vehicle? Uh, pedestrians and cyclists coexist. It shouldn't be that hard, and we have to figure that out. It shouldn't be uh, this tug of war that we've seen in the city of Vancouver as long as I can remember. And yeah, I just 112 years is plenty. Fact. Yeah. Yeah. A, a really quick fun fact is I remember when I was a kid uh, during some very heated discussions to widen the causeway. And do you remember that, Jody? Widen I the do. causeway? I do. Uh, there was a park commissioner who actually climbed a tree and stayed up it for days because she didn't want a couple that. of trees to be cut down yeah. for that reason. So, I mean, we've seen some emotional stuff at the park board before, but we're hearing from people that I haven't heard from before who've said, Let's... I haven't spoken up, but this is. This is my park. It's all of our parks, and it's not just people in the city of Vancouver. I've got only one minute here, and I want to squeeze in Nancy in New Westminster. Welcome to the show, Nancy. Hi, Jody. Thanks. Hi, Melissa. Uh, in 1977, I landed my first summer job as a student. I worked for the Coquitlam Chamber of Commerce in a little train caboose on Lougheed Highway. And the, when people came in, whether they were from Germany or France or England or Toronto or the state, what was the first thing they wanted? How do I get to Stanley Park? It's not just the jewel of the province. It's the jewel, one of the jewels of our country, and we need to return it to the people. As, as you guys said, share. Every, it's been shared for how many years has Stanley Park been around? I mean, it's been shared forever. Why all of a sudden all these drastic changes? Thank you for your comment, Nancy. And Melissa, thank you for taking some time out of your day and, and shining the light on the actual lease agreement. We're going to follow up on that. We appreciate your time so very much. Thanks, Jody. Jody Vance in for Mike this week. It is time to talk some federal politics as yesterday afternoon Pacific time. Bill Morneau made this announcement. I met with the Prime Minister today to inform him that I did not intend to run again in the next federal election. It's never been my plan to run for more than two federal election cycles. As we move to the next phase of our fight against the pandemic and pave the road towards economic recovery, we must recognize that this process will take many years. It's the right time for a new finance minister to deliver on that plan for the long and challenging road ahead. 
That's why I'll be stepping down as finance minister and as member of parliament for Toronto Centre. No matter what, I know that with this Liberal government, Canadians will be in good hands. I still intend to continue to serve and have decided to put my name forward to become the next Secretary General of the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. The Prime Minister has given me his full support in this quest. I'll be spending the next few weeks preparing for this bid. We've always said that Canada and the world needs more Canadian leadership, not less. I will come to this new challenge with the lived experience of, of having built a more inclusive and fairer Canada. With that resignation as finance minister and MP for Toronto Centre yesterday evening, Bill Morneau triggered a very busy news morning. And to walk us through it all, we are very happy to bring in political commentator and co-founder of Everyone's Canada, Zane Belgi is with us. Hi, Zane. Hey, Jody. Good morning. How are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm glad to have you here. I've been sort of just consuming news since my eyes opened, and certainly we were paying <laughs> close attention last evening. You, first, let's talk about Bill Morneau in terms of uh, the man behind the title, behind the resignation. Um, you can hear the emotion in his voice there. This this is all um, incredibly difficult times uh, for our country on on so many levels, and the pressure on him must have been incredible to make this move. Oh, absolutely. Right. And when we when we talk about the many criticisms one may have of Bill Morneau, some may say he wasn't politically savvy enough or he didn't necessarily understand the cadence of day to day politics or political strategy. I don't think anyone, even his chief political enemies, would say that he wasn't a person that was in it for the right reason. Right. Yeah. This job, finance minister, member of parliament, was not a job that Bill Morneau needed. In fact, I don't think when all is said and done, it will be what he is known for as being the finance minister of Canada. He already had a very successful entrepreneurship career. He now has further you know, public service ambitions. So this was a man who is doing this for what we call in the political strategy world the right reasons. He wanted to give back to his country. So you know, in many ways, as much as he may be a, a target for uh, opposition critics and for, for the media, for his lack of political savvy, I think that there's a huge element of this that we need to recognize why Bill Morneau got into this game and it was for the right reasons to begin with. And you know what, Zane, this is kind of an odd thing to bring up, but in the coverage that I was watching, I think it was, uh, I, I was watching the special on CBC National News Network with uh, right. Rosemary Barton. And at one point, one of the commentators offered up a personal story. So this is secondhand, but it, it really peaked for me when, when he had mentioned that he witnessed somebody, uh, a staffer, have some sort of family emergency, and Bill Morneau turned to that staffer, threw him his car keys, and said, bring it back whenever. Like, that's right. the type of person we're talking about here. So while we're seeing the the partisan attacks and the, you know, the calling out and this and that, uh, that was something that I think is, it's it's important for us to remember um, with all of the, the noise surrounding things. There are human beings at the center on all sides, frankly, on, on uh, from all perspectives. A hundred percent. And I'll get on my, my soapbox that I like to every so often. And I just want to echo that point, right? These are public servants. They may seem like, you know, opposition critics or members of parliament or ministers. At the end of the day, they have given up livelihoods that they could have had elsewhere for the vast majority and vast majority of them and have dedicated their time and energy and resources to have this unbelievably bright spotlight shine on them and to have this microscope that probably none of them wanted 
to, to yeah. parse out their individual lives. So I think it's really important when we discuss it in, to have that context. So now that we have that, let's talk yeah. about the, the <laughs> politics around it. Thank you for your patience with me, Zane. I did, it just it, there's so much happening here, and and I do have to start with the glass ceiling that has been absolutely smashed or will be smashed today when it is a f- officially announced. Yeah, with with Christopher Freeland, I mean, uh, what else can you say, right? She has been initially. You thought she was a utility player. Uh, so to speak, the person in the cabinet that was a Swiss Army knife had every skill. Uh, now you're realizing she's got every skill at a depth that is probably better than her colleagues, if not comparable to the rest of her colleagues, which makes her incredibly uh, powerful in the position that she currently holds. Let's not forget, this is an individual who was foreign affairs minister, then tech on deputy prime minister, intergovernmental affairs during the pandemic. One may argue that was probably the biggest element outside of finance that she had to navigate through the provinces around Serb funding, around provincial and federal responses, coordination. Now she gets to do all of it and more. She now gets to balance the books. She now gets to figure out where spending resources are going to be. At the end of the day, however, I feel like the biggest deciding factor, whenever you're an elected official, especially a prime minister who's got this tremendous decision-making power is you start broad with a broad coalition of cabinet ministers. And what ends up happening is you narrow down because you get close with a certain amount of them. You have trust that is uh, absolutely unconditional with a certain amount of them. And I think with uh, Krista Freeland, you have both. Many people are saying, well, why give her another portfolio? She's indispensable to what she has. The answer I give you is trust. There's very few people that he can trust. Does he have people in his cabinet that have the resume? Sure. I can name half a dozen that could probably take on finance minister tomorrow. But it's a trust factor with Christopher Freeland and the competence factor that makes her an incredibly powerful uh, political figure uh, in this country. Already was, now increasingly more going forward. We're with Zane Velji, political commentator and co-founder of Everyone's Canada. And Zane, just staying with Freeland for just a second here, because for many Canadians, a, a rather new-ish name prior to, uh, as you said, you know, foreign affairs with Donald Trump south of the border, uh, ever since he was like, I'm ripping up NAFTA. She has yeah. been sort of unflappable in her communications and how she would manage things. And she would just like walk out doors from a meeting and, and do a scrum. She just seemed like she was always and is, continues to be always infinitely prepared for whatever question comes her way. So on top of the trust piece, it seems that there is also the knowledge depth on every file. That, that why wouldn't she do this when she's already dug through the finances to be able to 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 take and, and implement these other roles. Yeah, yeah. And she, and she, you know, according to reports, has a vision alignment with the prime minister, which I think is important too, right? Because yeah. there will be, let's be clear, the finance portfolio and the PMO are supposed to have friction. And they're supposed to have what we call healthy friction, which is friction to say, we both want to go in the same directional notion. What is the instrument that gets us there? Is it a, a spending plan? Is it a tax plan? Is it a stimulus plan, right? Just throwing out some abstract instruments there. There is supposed to be that healthy friction. But the directionality is supposed to be singular. I think what Trudeau gets in her is someone who is not afraid to back down as it relates to what practical strategies to implement, uh, mm-hmm. but is directionally uh, and notionally in the same vein as Trudeau. She's a Trudeau liberal. And so and I think that really matters. And I define a Trudeau liberal as a, a socially progressive individual, someone who's in that caucus that is probably more socially progressive than we've seen the liberals ever be historically, that now wants to be part of a chapter in Canadian history to write big tales of, 
you know, solving big problems. And yes, part of that is spending. So she's going to be tough as nails as it relates to which instruments. But I think what Trudeau gets in her is someone he trusts and someone who's aligned on vision, which cannot be stated enough. Jody Vanson for Mike Smith. And I'm just looking through my Twitter. I follow Mercedes Stevenson, our Ottawa bureau chief. And uh, Mercedes just tweeted that the ethics commissioner's office tells Global News that the investigation into former finance minister Bill Morneau will continue despite Morneau resigning as minister and as an MP. The ethics commissioner's report will be made public. So that's some new information just in the last uh, number of minutes, uh, again, from Mercedes Stevenson, our global uh, national uh, Ottawa bureau chief. Uh, we're with Zane Velji, who is a political commentator and co-founder of Everyone's Canada, sort of unpacking all of the, the fallout that comes with a finance minister and an MP for such a massive part and an important uh, riding in our country in, in Toronto Centre, uh, Bill Morneau stepping down and uh, Christia Freeland reportedly uh, shortly to be officially uh, made finance minister, becoming the first woman to hold that powerful role. Also, uh, some other uh, dominoes to fall here and wanting to unpack those with you, Zane. Uh, Dominic LeBlanc, what do we know about him and, and his uh, taking over? over as intergovernmental affairs minister. Yeah, and listen, I, I view his appointment back to two things. Number one, he's got a good handle on the job. He's done it before, uh, mm -hmm. quite, uh, quite literally has held this portfolio before. And number two, every decision you see from the Trudeau government, especially related to personnel going forward, I view it through the prism of trust. The prime minister trusts him. Uh, this is not a new name. This is not someone he took off the back benches with a ton of potential and growth ability. No, this is the middle of a pandemic. He wants to have a steady hand in this position, someone who can continue doing the work that Freeland did to liaise with the provincial governments. And let's let's not kid ourselves. You know, the pandemic was one thing, liaising with provincial and municipal uh, governments as the feds, uh, talking about what our plans are for, for financial supports. We now may be entering a new phase where the, the prickliness of this will become even more significant. You're going to have certain provinces now looking more inward, saying we've spent enough. Now's the time for austerity. Now's the time not to spend on our recovery. And you know that this government, at least from what's been telegraphed, has a very strong, bold agenda that they want to put into place. Well, that's going to take some massaging if you're the minister responsible for intergovernmental affairs. So Dominic LeBlanc is someone that, that the prime minister trusts and is someone that he's uh, going to be putting in this role because of his, his experience and his ability to, to hopefully massage these provinces to agreeing with this, this broader plan that Trudeau seems to be uh, headed on sort of established pedigree there. Zane, what about uh, the question that I, I posed via our listener, Helen, who uh, sent an, an email to me, Jody at cknw.com, by the way, if you're uh, looking for questions to be answered on any topic throughout the day. But Helen asked, what does or does not get done if Trudeau successfully prorogues the current parliament? Yeah, I mean, the question is, you know, what is the, the list of things that the government will want to do that usurps even their current direction and they'll take as, as being not just a, something we didn't do, but something that we just wanted to explode upon, right? So where does this look like in terms of exponential change for homelessness, for child poverty, for greening up jobs? We've heard that in the media, for seniors care. So I feel like anything that the government may have on the fiscal side of things, in terms of restraint, in terms of 
perhaps giving gifts as political parties and governments do nearing the the start of an election period. We may forego some of those things and some of those successes and now use the cloud cover of COVID as we had to start CERB to now potentially have big, you know, social changes around the social side of things being focused upon. So I would look at it less from what doesn't get done outside of fiscal restraint. Let's be totally clear. That will not get done. Sorry, Zane, your, your phone. Sorry, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Your phone's kind of crackling up. Did you move, did you move from a a, a a location? Did you walk some into a location? We kind of lost your signal a bit there, and no, I think I, you were just not, about to make I, your hope, point. I hope this I hope uh, working right here. So yeah, no, I was just about to say this is less about what doesn't get done. I think restraint will be the big headline of what is on the chopping block, a hundred percent. But it's now through the prism of what is going to happen, what's going to have these big interesting, all these extensions to what we've seen in this pandemic era that the government wants to make societal change on, not just temporary change on. Okay, so where do we go for the rest of the day here? What are your expectations? Do you have a timeline of, uh, of announcements and, and, and political posturing and moves? Yeah, I say quick, quick, quick right? They want to put the Morneau story behind them as soon as possible. They want to ensure that, you know, he was a great public servant. He had his day yesterday. Today's about the future. So I think they're going to, of course, they're going to put Freeland in. They're going to announce LeBlanc. Let's see if there's more in that cabinet shuffle, so to speak. Uh, Let's see if there's other people flipping ministries. And then what you're going to see is perhaps Trudeau at a press conference of some sort uh, of with with a united sort of vision going forward and to execute on that vision. I need to prorogue parliament. I need to come back to you for not just a plan where we hang on by a recovery and react, but a plan to proactively take Canada into the next stage. I look at some messaging around that, uh, and, and I think that's going to be something that they, they may take an opportunity of what seemed to be a bit of a surprise with Morneau yesterday and lead into it as an opportunity to, to have a new inflection point on, on this government's policy trajectory. We've all also heard some statements, certainly in our news with Gord McDonald here from uh, Pierre Polyev, uh, statements that he's making that, the, you know, Morneau's exit means very little when you consider that the ethics violations uh, uh, alleged against the prime minister still are in place. Um, how, how do you expect to uh, other parties, other opposition uh, parties, uh, the, the NDP uh, being first and foremost there, uh, reacting to what is happening here. I haven't, I haven't heard those yet. Yeah, I mean, if you're the Conservatives, you are walking around today saying that you drew blood last night, uh, yesterday evening, by getting the finance minister to resign. And everything for you is going to be communicated through the fact that you got it done, and it mm-hmm. is about we. So do not be surprised that Trudeau wants to change the channel on Morneau because he's got the we stench still surrounding him, unfortunately, and now wants to move it on to the next chapter, saying this is about bold, progressive future. So if I'm the NDP, for example, I have a choice. I have a choice whether to criticize this or whether to maybe sit on my hands and say, well, how bold are you going to be on some mm-hmm. of these social programs? How? Because there could be some alignment of partnership. And you can see Jagmeet Singh has been talking about child care and yeah. child poverty for a long time. If I'm him, do I sit on my hands a bit? and see if there's anything in it for me to declare as a policy victory. I'm not going to get the, the political victory of being one responsible to get Morneau out of office, but right. I might be able to say I'm the one who forced Trudeau to do these bold things. So the NDP needs to play it carefully here. Very fascinating conversation, Zane. Thank you for the education. Really appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Jody. I appreciate it. 
Jody Vance in for Mike. You know, the level of whataboutism that you will find on social media surrounding Stanley Park is nothing short of remarkable. You know what? Each time a studied and sound point is made to return the park to its pre-pandemic glory, as much of our society has now done that we know more about this virus, there is pushback from the bike lobby. Too many of those are absolute online bullies. There's just no other way of putting it. It's unbelievable watching the vitriol, the meanness lobbed at our next guest in particular. It is truly disgusting, I have to say. And yeah, you know what? Enough with the bullying on social media. You want to have a conversation? Have a conversation. You want to have a debate? Have a debate. But what has been hurled at Trisha Barker is, is not on. It, it, is, it should be illegal. Uh, because what Trisha Barker is actually doing is really trying to help those without a voice, in some cases, literally no voice, helping those be heard and have access to Stanley Park. It is not too much to ask. And for whatever reason, the pushback is so firm that we have to open it up. We have to have this conversation here. And uh, glad to have Trisha Barker joining us uh, here on the program. Hello there. Hi, Jody. Uh, as a park board commissioner, I mean, I, I can only imagine what your email inbox looks like because when people email the park board, Everybody gets a copy of the email, am I right? Yes, everyone so, gets a copy. And uh, we get uh, uh, Boat Stanley Park um, a few hundred. A day. That's a lot. Yes, uh, no, no, sorry, not a day. Uh, a few hundred over this um, entire, you know, I, I think the, the last time I took account, I had responded to 196 emails. And then you're, you're phoning people back who are calling, and it, but it just goes on and on and on. Okay, so that would probably be since the pylons went up, I'm guessing, or was it since the, uh, the emergency meeting? I'm, uh, people wanting consultation, what's, what's, the, what's the messaging you're getting through those emails? Well, um, people are, people, most people are sharing their stories about yeah. uh, what Stanley Park means to them and uh, how they are restricted getting in and um, what they've gone in, gone through to try to get into the park. And for me, I just want to say that my most troubling part about all of this is in March and April around COVID, our biggest discussion, I think, uh, nationwide was how we were going to treat seniors better, how we were going to listen to their voices. And you fast forward to June 18th, when uh, Commissioner Cooper and I, um, the, the Stanley Park, we had to get it open. We felt that was the last place in Vancouver that we had to get open. And we held a special meeting and only 48 of the 116 speakers got to speak because the uh, Cope and Green commissioners decided to stop the meeting. So it's been heartbreaking that we won't even listen to people who want to voice something. So um, luckily, I'm able to have the time to go and speak to people. And I met with a lovely group of seniors who swim at Third Beach all the time. And they're having big troubles getting to the beach to be able to go for their swim, and even once had their car towed. And so I get to have an opportunity to speak to these people who didn't get to publicly speak. And they are frustrated because it seems like they are back to square one where no one's listening to them anymore.
Well, we're listening here, and every time we open up the phone lines on this topic, the phone boards light up. So I'm going to give opportunity here in the second segment for people to chime in with their stories or their perspective. Maybe you love the the new setup at Stanley Park. You're allowed to call in as well. 604-280-9898, star 9898 is a free call on your cell phone, star 9898 on your cell. Uh, Trisha, when people come at you, and, and the reason why I brought up the social media piece, it's a very difficult thing to watch. I feel I feel horrible for you. I've I've just been appalled at some of the things that have been uh, sort of lobbed at you in ways that that are so um, so under researched. People don't realize that a park board commissioner role is is just a sliver of your life. Could you give uh, our listener an idea of what you do as your real job? Yeah, um, my day job, I'm a personal trainer for seniors and people with terminal illnesses. I've been doing that for over 20 years now, and um, I like to tell the people uh, who are uh, trying to bully me and throwing hate my way that um, often during the day, I'm holding someone's hand while they die. So these voices throwing hate at me, I don't... I it's pretty easy for me to ignore them because what I do during the day is so important as compared to them screaming and yelling about how I don't understand that the park is just fine. So I'm lucky to have that perspective of what is really important. I'm glad that you do as well. And I just wanted to put it out because so so often bullying happens sort of in a silo and nobody really talks about it because it might get worse. The fact of the matter is what is happening to you specifically on Twitter needs to stop. It just needs to stop. It is just not on because the the yelling, it's, it literally sounds like yelling, yelling you, the park's not closed. And what you're trying to say is this is not about open or close. It's about m- the people who you deal with day in and day out, as you said, uh, seniors that you're training uh, to keep mobile and agile and people with terminal illness, they want access to that seawall. They want to be able to do, and you take pictures of the seawall. And when we're told that it's absolutely packed and people social distancing, it's no bikes on the seawall because people need, you know, to be able to social distance. By all accounts, that seawall is the emptiest seawall in all of the lower mainland. And all the other seawalls not attached, not through Stanley Park are are functioning beautifully, sharing it between pedestrians and leisure cyclists. So uh, that's a piece of this. Yeah, and and for me, um, because I deal with um, Peter Brown, who's the head of the City of Vancouver People with Disabilities Committee, and I'm dealing with a lot of other people who are coming in and telling me also issues and stories with what they're dealing with. Um, One thing, uh, you know, when people are saying, uh, Stanley Park is open and they get all upset, I talk about easy access and things that people don't understand. Um, I really was impressed with the lady who phoned in to that special meeting who said she had a 73-year-old bladder and uh, needed washrooms. And that is incredibly important to some people. And why should you have to talk about that in public? Yeah. Like, why should you have to say, oh, yeah, this is, this is my reason why I want to just be able to drive in easily? Um, it's not fair that we put people through that. I'm Jody Vance in for Mike Smith, along with uh, Trisha Barker, Vancouver Park Board Commissioner. And we're talking about the Vancouver Park Board as an entity in this next segment and taking your calls on on anything you'd like to ask Trisha or, or comment on, maybe a memory of Stanley Park, what you think about the current setup there. 604-280-9898 or star 9898 
Uh, we're coming for your calls in just a second. I do see the phone board starting to light up here. So, uh, Tricia, one of the things I wanted to share with you is a, a, an email that I was sent um, from a listener that says, Hi, Jody, I'm forwarding to you a copy of an email I sent to the park board, which, of course, they have not responded to. I look in the recipient's list on the forwarded message, and you're not on there. So I think this particular listener was very specific as to who she sent this to. And this, her, the body of text reads, Hi, well, very disappointed with you all. Who do you think you are? Stanley Park is for everyone in the province of British Columbia and the rest of Canada and the world. I and many other residents of Vancouver will never vote you in again. You are done. Time to put right the wrong you have, you five have created, uh, signed property taxpayer in Vancouver. Uh, you and, and uh, Commissioner Cooper, Commissioner John Cooper, have been extremely steadfast and vocal in your opposition to some of the things that feel like they've been pushed through recently, especially with regard to Stanley Park, but on other subjects as well. What is it like for you to hear something like that? Uh, what, how the park board, um, has the, the, the view of the park board has changed so drastically? It's, it's actually heartbreaking. Um, you know, I, I, w- I was born in Vancouver, so I know how great our parks are here and our community centers. And I know the reason things are so good is because we've had a park board that that's what it's there for, to make all these things wonderful. And I can understand the public's frustration when it sounds like the park board isn't listening to them. So, um, you know, with Commissioner Cooper and I being on the minority, uh, the reason we do as much speaking out as we can to let people know that we're listening to them and we're going to try as hard as we can to get their uh, thoughts known. And um, we keep on pushing just to see if we can finally get the public uh, what they would like to see in our parks. But, um, and the people who say get rid of the park board, um, you know what? uh, I just think that we, people should be very careful who they vote for. And I think that um, I think that that's some of the things people have seen, you know, all over North America right now. And your vote is very, very important. And uh, instead of just throwing out everything, just make sure you get people uh, working for you that um, hold your views. Yeah, you have to do the due diligence, right? If you just went dancing along the uh, the top line of the bios because you were like, you know what, I'm done with that, whatever. If you decided to vote out vision, anybody who was associated with that, I'm going to find somebody else. And if you just went cherry picking along with the bios, many of the bios of the people uh, who are a part of this uh, Green Cope Alliance sound like they are going to listen. And, and yet public consultation, again, is an issue here in Vancouver. Let's get to the phone lines now, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on yourself. Uh, we're listening to you, and here we start with Larry in New Westminster. Hi, Larry. Hi. Um, I'm getting a little, and so are the people of Canada, a little fed up with uh, this uh, park board and what they've done to the park. My wife and I, who has been asked, we used to park there, pay our $10, and walk around the park as far as she could. And not only that, look at all the money as, and nowadays with all the young people who are out of work, there's uh, the, those restaurants that are, uh, uh, you know, not getting all the people. And, uh, you know, it just seems to go on and on with this park board. We, we you know, mentally and, uh, with, with the people around, whatnot, they need this uh, bit of fresh air around the seawall just to relax. So anyway, Jody, I think they got to get a reality check because, uh, 
you know, the, the, that park is not just run by the uh, the bicycle people. It's run yeah. by the people of, of, of Canada. That's all I really have to say. I'm really glad for your call. Thank you for calling in, Larry, and taking the time there. Uh, Trisha, you know what? Echoed so often when we open up the phone lines here, we don't screen out people who want to change Stanley Park. We are asking people what they think here, and what Larry just put down is is heartfelt and and very much the majority of, of citizens reacting to any changes to that jewel of a park. Yeah, and that's what I hear over and over and over again. And I appreciate everyone who does speak up about this because I think everyone does have to speak up. And that's the way that hopefully we will get Stanley Park back. Let's continue on the phone line 604-280-9898 or star 9898 is a free call on your cell. Bob in Vancouver, welcome to the program. Hi, good morning. First of all, uh, Tricia, thank you for your work with the seniors. It's not always easy. I know you get paid for it, but... Uh, you deserve a gold star for that. And thank you for your work for the Parks Board. This You represent your cause very well. And I've got to congratulate CKNW here, which I don't always do. They're doing a great job on this. They're letting all sides be heard. But in my opinion, tell me if I'm wrong, Tricia, this is about nothing less than the war on the car. It's about ideologues that care nothing about their cause. There's no rhyme or reason to it. There's no logic to it. And they do not care about old folks. They've tossed the old folks aside just like yesterday's garbage if it meant getting another car off the road. Now, I've got a bone to pick with the NPA. I've donated to the NPA for a long time. And the NPA seemed to lose their way around the time Peter Ladner took over. And he's part of this problem today. And I think if you want to get reelected in a majority on council and in Parks Board, you have to separate yourself with the vision lights, vision lights like Peter Ladner. You've got to separate yourself from vision. You've got to give people a reason to go back to the polls. A lot of my friends don't vote anymore because you went vision light. Uh, please answer. Please answer my question about uh, uh, the war in the car. I thank you very much, and to keep up the good work. Cheers, Bob. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. That was very, very kind words. And um, you know what? I, I just keep on looking at the task at hand. And uh, when I uh, ran for Park Board Commissioner, I said I was going to be the voice for seniors. So I'm not worried about uh, next election. I'm worried about being that voice today. And that's where my concern is. And um, I'm going to keep on doing it. And, um, you know, Voice of Like Bob, it's really good to hear people uh, talk about how important this is to them. And um, yeah, thanks for the kind words. Let's keep going on the phone boards here. Bill in North Van, you're up next. Welcome to the show. Hi, Judy. Thank you for having me. Um, first, I'd just like to say that, you know, I think this bicycle thing has gone too far. Um, they have bike paths, they have road allocations, they have sidewalks, and they just ride all over the place anyway, so it really doesn't matter. But as far as Stanley Park goes, um, preserve it as it was. I mean, it worked for a hundred years as it was. You know, the seniors get to, everybody gets to go in there and enjoy the park. Now I get people telling me, well, why would I bother going down there? It's too much hassle. So, you know, older people can't get in there because they can't bike. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, I'm sorry, but I really have a problem with that. Thank you to your guests for the work that she does. Thanks so much, Bill. You know, uh, 
seems to be everybody with a similar mindset here. What's worked in Stanley Park for 112 years could continue to work. Let's just put it back to the way it was. Uh, Phone boards continue to be lit up here. I've got one more minute. Uh, Scott in Vancouver, you're up next. Uh, Yeah, I've been been riding through Stanley Park probably the last 14, 15 years as part of a regular ride, and I've never had an issue with traffic. Uh, People driving in Stanley Park, often tourists or people just going for a little ride around, and the traffic is slow. Everybody's accommodating. Uh, this new system is ridiculous with all the pylons. Uh, it's crazy. And uh, I, I don't understand why there's such an issue. I, I think we got to get the cruisers back on the seawall and, uh, you know, just let it go back to the way it was. There are a lot of people, handicapped people, mobility issues, who use that park, who park in different areas. And you can't do that now because there's essentially no parking anymore. It's ridiculous. And I think it should go back to the way it was. Well, I don't know a better way to cap off this uh, segment than with Scott from Vancouver's perspective as a road bike rider through Stanley Park for uh, 15 years, as he said. No issues. It should go back the way it was. Trisha, thank you for your time. I very much appreciate you being so forthright and honest and open to discussing the, the difficulties that you've faced uh, with regard to attacks on social media, as well as uh, your struggles uh, trying to be heard on behalf of those with disabilities. Thanks for doing this. Thank you, Jody.